I'm Steve Dania and this is the My Pride Playlist Pridecast from Virgin Radio Pride. In each episode, we speak to a member of the LGBTQ plus community and go through tracks that have soundtracked their lives. Now, due to rights reasons, the music is shorter than the original broadcast, but it's still great. Enjoy. The Virgin Radio Pridecast, proudly supported by Disney Plus, celebrating all LGBTQIA plus identities. Steve Daniel with you. Welcome to My Pride Playlist tonight on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm joined on the other side of the table by podcaster, author, creator of the most legendary parties the whole generation has been to. It's Glyn Fussell. It's really great to meet you. Welcome to Virgin Radio Pride. We're going to dive, Glyn, straight into your song list. And I see song number one is Boy George Culture Club. Uh, what do you think of Boy George? In fact, what did you think of him the first time you saw him? He was from another planet. Yeah. I, I just... There was, it was almost like he was singing to me, you know? And um, when you think back actually now, I mean, even now it's groundbreaking what he did. But back then when he came out, it was just my mind exploded. And I was scared of him and drawn to him in equal measures. And also I just think his his vocals, uh, when you listen to them now, it, it, there's such so much melancholy in them. He sounds so sad <laughs> in a lot of the songs because he was because a lot of the songs obviously were about John Moss yeah. and that unrequited love that he couldn't talk about so when I think about being um, a flamboyant homosexual that was yet to come out and yet to be allowed to be that I look towards George as a, a kind of this is what I could be. This is the future for me. Like you say, like amazing to think it was 40 years ago that he did that that pivotal performance on Top of the Pops. And other people who've done this show have said that that performance, you know, when they first yeah. saw him, it spoke to them. Is that, is that what you, exactly what you mean? It felt dangerous, but also at the same time, just, yeah. I think he, he was the first queer icon I think that we had I think they'd been gay men before but they'd they'd been put into quite a cuddly furry box and George felt dangerous and exciting and you know uh, on the edge and creative and queer and I and I didn't even know what that meant um at that point but yeah George was the and George still is actually that person that I just think is phenomenal phenomenal and the music is brilliant Culture Club and Time on my Pride playlist here on Virgin Radio Pride. My first pick tonight for my guest, Glyn Fussell. Glyn, have you ever met George? Because he's a legendary character. I met George. <laughs> I did meet George once. Um, I was a few baby shams into the evening <laughs> and he was leaving and I ran down the road after him screaming, George, George, sign my chest. Pulled up my top and he just looked at me up and down and said, no. Off. Oh, sorry, can I say that? I can't say that, can I? You, it's your show. You can say whatever you want. We might have to. I might have to get Harry to press. You the might have bleed to beat that. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first and only time I've met George. Um, it was a long time ago, and I, I hope that when I meet him again, 
he won't remember that moment. Right, okay. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying a moment ago, so you were in Bristol, you grew yeah. up in Bristol, I love Bristol, beautiful city. What was it like, though, at that time? And Not I sp- beautiful. I suppose you're telling me about that time when you were realising that you might be a bit different. Yeah, well, I'm one of seven kids. My mum was also a childminder to the neighbourhood, so there was always about 20 children in our household. It was a very working class, a very busy, busy household. We grew up in a city, Bristol, in a place called Beminster. Super working class. It's um, although you know it's moved on now. They've got a gay deli, and um, <laughs> but back then it was really, really on the. It was, it was rough. It was rough as boots. There, Edgy. I'm saying it. It was rough, rough as boots. Okay. And I would felt scared a lot of the time, if I'm honest. And I've never really had the. You know, recently I wrote a book and it made me have to think about that time. And I spent a lot of my time hiding, which sounds really sad, but it's just the truth. Hiding from people that were going to beat me up or hiding even from um, my brother's friends who I knew might give me a hard time. So it was this constant navigating you know, thinking every single day when I woke up, I would have to navigate how I could get through the day and not be attacked, which sounds horrific. It does. But that is what, that is actually what happens yeah. for a lot of queer kids. It is, is what happens. And it actually, I, I, I'm grateful for that time because it definitely made me the malleable cockroach that I am today. <laughs> you it can toughened me, you. Yeah, you could put me in any situation. And and also, I think that it played into the career that I've had. It made me want to redo that time in my life and create spaces that don't make people feel scared, mm-hmm. that people can come in and do whatever they want to do. So I'm not mad about it, but it was not easy by any chance. No. Um, and... I was lucky that I had, you know, my mum and dad are amazing. and But it, it was hard. And school was tough. I found school incredibly hard because I went to that school, that school in Bristol or that school that any city has, where all the kids from the other schools, when they get expelled, it's the last chance saloon. Right. So it was a, a very aggressive, um, testosterone fueled situation there. And I somehow managed to get through it. Um, I think becoming a bit of a shapeshifter, I became a very good actor. And I, again, I think a lot of us do that, right? We, yeah. we, we reform ourselves, repackage ourselves. And I developed um, quick wit. That's how I, I think, which equipped me for becoming a drag queen. Really. <laughs> it's the ultimate defense mechanism, yeah. that, isn't it? It just, I knew that I wasn't ever going to be able to fight the kids. I knew that I had to get through it. I also knew that my brother and my sister uh, that that had come before me at the school were tough as nails and were always getting in scraps. And I knew that that wasn't going to be what I could do. So I had to become really funny. I had to become a class clown um, and develop techniques to just get through school life. And it was hard. Like, again, it was really tough, but I don't remember it in in a negative way Mm -hmm. because I I think all of those things really have shaped my career and who I am and you know I'm a tough old leather boot and and I think that that's partly because I'm I'm massively actually because of that those formative years at at, in when I was a kid but also in senior school which were could have been horrific and that chapter beautifully 
links us into this second song, doesn't it? Small Town Boy. Yeah. Small Town Boy by Bronxky Beats on my Pride playlist tonight on Virgin Radio Pride. It's Steve Daniel. I'm joined by Sink the Pink legend, Mr. Glim Fussell on Virgin Radio Pride. That is, it's still, still such an amazing song. This song is almost like the anthem for running away mm. from when you want to go and move where, you know, where the lights are shining. I'm going to run away to the big city where everyone's wearing crop tops and having a great time. This was that song, and I remember discovering it probably about 17 years old, and again, through my sister, who had impeccable taste in music, and didn't really even understand what it meant because I was yet to run away. I was still staying in Bristol. I was working in a factory, and I was pretending that I was straight, but there was something about it that just pulled me in. I felt like I heard what he was saying and heard what he was singing about just through the sound and there's again there's a real um there's a kind of a bleakness to the song because it is um and and also if this song feels very working class it feels like a working class story of running away and finding your chosen family or finding your people yeah and it's been a song this song i i play it still to this day it still sounds fresh Mm. It's still, I don't think, I think it's been sampled once. I think Brandon Flowers sampled it once. Badly, may I add. But um, it's such an original piece of music, an original song that I think that you cannot touch it because you don't need to. It's fresh. It's relevant. It still stands true for anyone that's running away and needing to go and find their people. Mm-hmm. I feel this is the song for that. Brilliant. So many people have said, and actually younger people have said exactly the same. It's amazing, isn't it, how that song's a feeling. Did you ever see the video, by the way? Because I never saw the video until quite recently, but the video had everything in it yeah. that I pictured when yes. I first heard yes. it. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm sure that he had something to do with that video because it really is, it is such um, an autobiographical song, isn't it? Yeah. But for him, but for all of us. Yeah. If you were a kid or a teenager in the mid-80s, it summed up that experience, yeah. don't you think? That one song, just with the synths yeah. and everything. everything. And again, that real... When you listen to those pop songs, those synth-heavy gay pop songs, there's a real melancholy and a sadness to them. And all of them feel a little bit like unrequited but unlived love songs. Mm-hmm but with since. <laughs> yeah. How did you get by the mid-80s working in the factory in Bedminster and the very fact that we didn't collectively have any role models or any TV shows or, like, no, any visibility? Yeah, there was How no did... representation, really, of, of anyone that I could see. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I, t- I take that back, Bowie. Yeah. Bowie, but it, which is weird because, you know, essentially he wasn't a gay man, but he was the first gay role model I had. And then I think that it's funny that Boy George wouldn't be where he is without Bowie. Yeah. So, but how did I get there? Um, oh, God. I would say I wouldn't, I, I, I struggled. I really struggled um, until Queer as Folk came on the television. Because and that was a long time later, that was though. That was like 97, like, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 97. Because that was the first time I saw people that didn't feel, you know, like 
Kenneth Williams or, or, or you know, all yeah. of those older like guys. affected. Yeah, yeah. I just felt like that. It felt like me. It felt like a life that I wanted and could lead. So I didn't. Is the answer? I just didn't have any representation, which is why I love the time we live in now. Mm. We can get so caught up in what we're not living in, but actually, I this is the time for for the queer for the world to kind of really be queer in its fullest and celebrate that and and be very visible i think it's very exciting time and it and and when i think back about who i was in 1985 well maybe a little bit later i'm not that old 1988 (laughs) (laughs) i think god if i'd seen even the rylands you know but all the all the queer shows on tv heartstopper all of those shows now I saw those. God, my life would have been would have been just, a game changer. Wouldn't would have it? been a game changer. Yeah, it would have been a lot easier. But you've you have you have helped, and we will ch- discuss this. Mm. Pave the way for so many people with with your presence, with your parties, with your books, and everything. Thank you. We're going to go straight to Kylie now. Yeah, can you tell my uh, my little face lit up there? Name the song. Tell me why you want this. On a night like this, the gayest song that ever was. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Dania on my playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. Glim Fussell is here with me tonight. Kylie, on a night like this, why that Kylie song? So when I was 18, I decided that I had to get away. Um, This is pre-social media. So the world felt like a bigger place, didn't it? (laughs) It really did. (laughs) It felt like going to Australia, for instance, was as if I was taking a rocket to Mars. (laughs) It felt as far away. I knew I wanted to come out. I knew that the only gay mecca felt like Kylie Minogue, so I must go to Australia. (laughs) (laughs) And that was my logic. (laughs) Um, And Sydney felt like a really gay place, a really safely gay place. So I packed my bags with all my factory coins and I set off to Australia to become a go-go dancer, which I did brilliantly, may I add. Really? Yes. Well, not brilliantly. I did it brilliantly for a week and then I got sacked. We won't talk about that. But Kylie Minogue, when I got there, really... It was that time. It was 1998, 1999. Okay. The currency of Kylie was... <laughs> she was peak, peak Kylie. And it was very much... Um, Sydney was bursting at the seams with homosexuality, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it was... the. It felt like the gayest place, like a gay volcano. Because we'd had Kylie... And Priscilla, I think, by then. Exactly. We? And that was just, exactly. it was the place, wasn't and it? And we were gearing up for the, for the 2000, um, was it the Olympics? It was. It was, wasn't it? It was they the Olympics. They laid on that massive show. Where which Kylie came, she came out and then she came out to this song and then she entered into the arena on the back of a surfboard being carried by loads of drag queens doing like, <laughs> so, so, so camp. It was gay. And it was such a, it was very camp, actually. Camp which I love as a word and I think a lot of gay people I think they're claiming it now but for a long time they were so it was such a taboo thing like oh camp's negative camp's wonderful camp is our culture and Australia at that time was so camp and when I got there I remember just this song and feeling how I wanted to be 
And also it was the first time I'd, I'd been able to embrace because no one could see me. There was no social media. I mean, I was literally writing letters to my mum. You know, <laughs> I'm having a great time. I've met a girl. She's called Jane. He was called Jeremy. And, <laughs> and I would, um, yeah, I would play this on loop, this whole album actually, just on loop and loop. And I would lip sync it in the mirror. And um, I was having the best camp all time. And it was, it was magical. And it's amazing the beauty of a song when you hear it back. It doesn't matter what, if it had an impact on you, it, a really key point, you can close your eyes and you go back to that feeling, that feeling. And it always, you know, almost makes me mince a little more. So I'm guessing you would have been kind of in your late teens uh, back when this happened. I was 19. 19. Yeah. And your parents still didn't know. Your mum still didn't know. No one knew in Bristol. Wow. I had run away. And um, it was like your small town boy moment going to. Exactly that. Yeah. Yes. And I'd gone over and I'd had all these wild dreams. Because I, I think when you're when you're gay, when you're a queer person that doesn't come out until you're 19, 20, you miss a whole decade of your sexual and, well, mainly your sexual exploration, but also, you know, that thing where in a playground when you're straight and you're flirting, I didn't get to do that. So everything for me had been highly romanticised and definitely played into the fact that I'm a big, I'm still um, a massive romantic, but I dream a lot and I'm I'm very, I don't know if you could tell, I am quite have quite the imagination. Yeah. So... You seem very free spirit. Yeah, and I I had been dreaming about what it would be, and I was going to go there, and I was going to be the man of my dreams, and I was going to become this flamboyant go-go dancer. It's amazing. So I became the go-go dancer. Where did you go-go dance? Just for people who've been to Australia. It was in a club called Connections. Right. Turns out, though, I am not the best kind of... Well, my dancing's a little... I dance a little bit like Phoebe Buffay, you know, when she... <laughs> it's all arms. Arms, like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm not very good at being sexy in the club, but I love the outfits. Okay. I remember actually the first time I did it, I designed the outfit and I had a, a zebra print crop top with matching fur cuffs. Amazing. Gorgeous. Had a visor and I had pleather flares with a matching butcher's apron. Core, I felt the business. <laughs> I really did. But I did that for a week and then I just did odd jobs. Odd jobs for a year and met my first love. And and um I and I really did have that year was it was the first time I'd met gay people, queer people, and um it was probably the most to this day transformative year of my life. Um but also the year with with it was full of dread because I knew I had to go back to Bristol because I was only there for a year. Right. So I'd create this very this utopian world in Australia and I knew that I had to go back and it was dawning on me. But it was it was magical. I met such amazing characters. Um I met an older camp gay man that became my sort of I guess my my chosen father over there. Okay. And he was very Quentin Crisp-esque, mm-hmm. you know, wore flouncy linen outfits and had wire, wiry wild hair and popped a fan and would poke people with a stick. He sounds incredible. Auntie Donald. And he looked after me the whole time I was there. Like your protégé. Yeah. And again, I, I would look at him and think, oh, I want, I want to be like that. Yeah. And look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. But yeah, it was magic. It was so, so magical. Do, do you have, just going back to what we spoke about a moment ago, do you have any, like, bitterness that that we couldn't do it a bit earlier? That, you know, your straight counterparts were having all these natural... And you um, had to go to the other side of the world to have your moment. Well, I did for a long time, actually. When I came back and moved back to Bristol, I, even if anyone even... 
asked me a question, I would snap because I was annoyed that I had to explain my existence. Mm. And also I'd been living it for not only a year outwardly, I'd been living it all my life inwardly. So I'd had all those internal conversations and external conversations and I didn't want to have to I just didn't have to want, want to talk about it. I just wanted to live for the first time in my life. So I was very annoyed, very angry, probably a little bit of a brat for for quite a while. But no, no, I think that being gay, being queer is a gift because it actually makes you look at the other. Would I have moved to Australia? Would I have met all these wonderful people? Would, have, would I have had all these adventures that I've had? Would I have the career that I've got? Yeah. All of those things are because of my sexuality, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I do not have any bitterness. Uh, I think is the best thing that ever happened to me. You've made yeah. peace. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely... I haven't just made peace. I think I'm, I'm very aware that it re- really is the best thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I probably wouldn't have got here without it. So I feel feel blessed. Hashtag blessed. I'm glad I asked you that. So we've gone from Kylie, and this is great, by the way. Are you having a good time so far? Yes. Gone from Kylie, and we're going to go to... I don't know what's next. (laughs) Say share. Oh, share all or nothing. (laughs) Again, this is, by the way, this is also, this is an Australia song. Um, I had a really good friend called James out there, and he was, for me, what was success because he came from a slightly affluent family, he had a convertible car. When you know, it was what success as I thought it was then, because actually it was like a clapped out banger that was convertible. <laughs> and a lot of people had convertible but cars Australia. But for me, <laughs> this guy was it. And he was obsessed with Cher. And he would when we got in his convertible, we would open up the um what are those things that straight people have in their cars? What are those things? Glove box. Glove box, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think some gay people have them yeah, as well. We don't use them. Well, we don't use them for gloves. Like, I'll tell you what we use them for. Or in James, he would have wigs in it. So we would get we it. would get in the car and wherever we would go, he would go, which one do you want? And we would know the track listing of that share album. Yes. And it might be Taxi Taxi if he was dropping me somewhere. Yeah. Strong enough if we needed courage to Brilliant. go somewhere. But mainly it was all or nothing. And we would pull out, out the wigs and we would put these wigs and giant glasses on, sometimes a headscarf. And we would just drive around. It was also back at a time where I didn't really have anything to do. He didn't have anything to do because he was affluent. <laughs> and we would just drive around in this car, screaming at people and sometimes just stopping and making people stare at us. And then, and it made me feel so brave and invincible. And again, when I hear not only this song, but this whole album, it just takes me back to that time. It takes me back to a really carefree time as well. It's the mighty share on my playlist on Virgin Radio Pride or on nothing picked by my very special guest, Glyn Fuss. I've got a question for you, Glyn. Have you ever reached out to Cher? Because she would be amazing at one of your parties. I could totally see her like on stage at Sink the Pink. I don't think we can afford Cher. I've, I would love, I think that the minute I get Cher at one of my events, it's the end. 
You know, Cher is. She's the closing party. Cher is God. <laughs> right. You know, Will she I, be the ultimate? Yeah. Because I can totally is see God. it. You have reached, you know, you, you have reached the chosen land if Cher is there. That's the way I see it. Okay. Don't you think? I think that Cher is, she is. Well, she's up there with Madonna, isn't she? She's and, higher um, than Madonna. Oh, okay. She's right. high, she this is, is fighting talk now on Cher, my playlist. Cher is as far, I mean, if there's a cult, Cher leads it. And we are mere disciples. Okay. Yeah. And I will not have it any other way. Okay, I'm not even <laughs> going to argue. We're going to, I'm going to ask you very calmly, <laughs> what's next? Um, so you've picked next um, a great club song from right at the beginning of the 90s, D-Light Groove is in love. That's when it came out originally. Yes. Um, why have you put it here in your prior playlist? Well, I don't know if you noticed, we're doing a bit of a journey through my coming out story. Yeah, yeah. So when I got back, I, I moved to Bristol. I was there for a while um, and realised that I just couldn't stay there. I just, it was not for me. And so the shining lights of London beckoned. <laughs> and I moved to London and I was living in a bed sit in um, Great Portland Street. Uh, just a, Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, no, not okay. nice. 12 people, one shower. It was definitely flip-flops. In the, yeah, it was gross. But it, what what was good about it was that it was close to all the gay clubs. Mm-hmm. So when I first got to London, I kept saying, I'm going to get a good job. I'm gonna... Instead, I just went out all the time. And I discovered pop stars. I don't know if you remember pop stars. King's it, Cross. King's Cross yes. at the Scala. It was so iconic. And it was the first time that I, f- I felt um, it, at home in as much as the, the, the scene felt more alternative. Mm. You know, the main, for instance, the main room there, they played indie music and they would have bands like Block Party or um, Golf Rap perform. And it was just really, you know, that was the main room. And then they had a room right on the top of the club, of the um, the theatre, cinema, it was, wasn't it? It was yeah, a cinema, of it was course. huge, wasn't it? Up there and they would play all alternative pop songs and they would play this probably about five times a night. And it just summarises that time. Everyone drinking cans of Red Stripe. I remember the Red Stripe. Two Everyone. pounds, weren't they? Something like Two that. Two pound cans of Red Stripe. <laughs> the whole club was red. Yes. People would vomit on themselves and stay at the nightclub. And for me, that is commitment. And I would stagger out there and just waddle home, occasionally with someone in tow. And it was my first uh, introduction into London. Yeah. And also my first real introduction into a love of clubbing because before that I'd gone to clubs and I'd never felt um, as if I fit I always felt a bit odd in what way well I think people go to clubs don't they a lot of time traditionally gay clubs to be sexy and the very notion of that makes me want to chunder I think it's <laughs> just not who I am I want to be rebellious you know break into <laughs> break into things and cause trouble that's just my nature is to be rebellious okay which just just doesn't go hand in hand when you're in G.A.Y. Lake so you'd be carted out and there. let me tell you I know because I've been chucked out many a time <laughs> so so yeah it was the first time I felt that you could be mischievous in there and you could be naughty and it's interesting you say that because yeah. I always thought that those guys, they kind of, they put on a night. They put, it was an event. Yeah. It was, and actually going on to see what you've done in your career, maybe that influenced yeah, you. Yeah, it definitely did. That that for sure. And I've thought about that so many times, even when we first started doing Sync the Pinks, a lot of the playlists, because I wasn't as informed, I would just think back to, what did they used to play? It was called The Rubbish Room, that room. They used to, what did they play in The Rubbish Room? And it was what? D-Light... Um, 
they would play um, Daphne and Celeste. <laughs> Ooh, stick you, your mum. So they played that. But they so played the right songs, didn't yeah. they? I mean, it was really random, but they kept that dance floor and they didn't attempt to mix. So once no, there was no out, mixing. It was literally like being at someone's house at an after party at <laughs> yes. five in the morning yeah. and someone just, ra- and they do Nirvana, never mind, like, um, Smells Like Teen Spirit, yeah. into Rachel Stevens' Sweet Dreams of My LAX. It, was, it made no sense. But it worked. And that really... And I think it's the first time I've, I'd admitted this was the blueprint for Sync the Pink's musical code. There we go. And I can say that now because Sync the Pink is no more R.I.P. But actually, yeah, we kind of stole that from the rubbish room at Pop Stars. It's my Pride playlist on Virgin Radio Pride. I'm Steve Dernier. I'm joined by utter scene legend, author, party organiser. He does it all. He does it all really well. Glyn Fussell is here. Tell me about your next song, We Are Your Friends. Uh, This is a storming, storming tune. I love this. So I'd been in London for probably, gosh, long time. You know, I think people come to London thinking that the street's going to be paved with gold. It's that Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz Oz thing. and, And it's just not like that, is it? And... I think I was in London for about seven years before I even knew what the hell I wanted to do. So what were you doing in the seven years? Well, what wasn't I doing? (laughs) Right. I did every single job and I got fired from every single job. Because really all I was here to do was have fun. Um, And then the problem was after a while I stopped having fun because I was having to do all these rubbish jobs in the day and it just felt like the kind of juxtaposition between nighttime me and daytime me just didn't work yeah um and then i'd been working for a popular retailer as a visual merchandiser as many homosexuals do (laughs) (laughs) dressing um mannequins for women that i don't know in sparkly dresses that i don't care about right and i just got i become very disillusioned and that's when i was i was bitter Mm. i was so over it and i got to a point where i just thought i cannot do this anymore and at the time i had a best friend called amy amy zing who i started seeing the pink with and we had we were going out and we discovered east london first time ever and it was wow it was like I would say after Australia, it was the second coming in my life where I just went, holy beep. There you go. Um, <laughs> holy beep. He was hovering over yeah, the button. You don't have to press that button. Um, <laughs> so East London. East London. Where? It was actually, um, I don't know if I can tell this story, but I'm going to give it a go. It was in a pl- the old T building before it had been transformed into Shoreditch House and as we know it right yeah. now. So it was an old warehouse base. It was before Shoreditch had been given that glossy um, makeover and there was a thing called gay bingo on it was johnny woo john sizzle and mar butcher who two of them now own the glory in east london yeah and we went to see them and johnny came out and started lip syncing to um i'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair started doing that and as he did that john sizzle came out lay in a paddling pool and johnny woo pulled his little johnny woo out right. and weed all over his wig and I was so outraged by it in the best possible way. And I just thought, God, this is wild. This is dangerous. This is me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was the first time I thought, oh, I can be as mischievous as, if, as I want. And I don't have to um, 
limit who I am in any way, shape or form. And um, Sink the Pink really came quite soon after that. And I think yeah. we'd been out one night, me and Amy, and um, we'd had a particularly rubbish night, actually. And the next day we just sat down and wrote a list of all the things that we love and all the things we hated. It was really as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things we hated were a lot of the things that were happening in our life at that point. Right. So it was, look, it, we were manifesting, I guess you could call it that. But were you sitting down going, what would, what would make yeah. the perfect party? Not or the perfect just... party. It was like, what would be the perfect... It wasn't about making a perfect club night or party. It was like, how can we be the ultimate us? We just wrote, we want all the songs, like they used to do at the Rubbish Room. Yeah. We want to be able to be mischievous, like Johnny and... You know, John did. We don't want to have to do these awful day jobs. We want to bring together all these kind of queer faces that don't look like each other. But we also want to be able to bring our brothers and sisters. Mm. Started creating this mood board of what we wanted. And and then with that, we then thought, right, how would it sound if we were going to do this? What would it sound like? And that was the song. We are your friends. Simeon Mobile Disco. It's Virgin Radio Pride, Steve Daniel with you doing my pie playlist uh, with Glyn Fussell. There's a fair chance that you've been to one of his parties or his festivals over the years. We've just heard uh, Simeon, We Are Your Friends. That's very much, I mean, fair to say that is a Sink the Pink anthem, isn't it? Can I take you back to the very, very first Sink the Pink in 2008? What was, just summarise that, what was the scene like, like back then? It was very um, tribal. And what I mean by that is it was the twink bars, there were the bear bars, there were the leather bars, there were the drag bars, but then none of them operated together or collectively. And there was also not really many bars that you could go and just bring everyone that were labelless. Um, and also the bars that did, uh, that, that, that were gay bars, that they were within gay venues and we never did that. We never wanted, we wanted to go in and claim traditionally spaces that felt that we weren't allowed so that would be like work in men's clubs art galleries uh theater posh theaters we did something at the vna like we've always been about disrupting mm. um but it was very different and it wasn't as fruity and by fruity i don't mean like sexy fruity i just mean it wasn't as colorful uh-huh. at all it was a lot more sexual I think people went out to pool, whereas I think Sink the Pink, what we were responsible for massively was we brought together a community of people that just actually wanted to be together mm-hmm. and it not be about who you were going to go home with at the end of the night. It was about bringing people together that could live a life out of the club. You start moving in with them. And, and, and that's... And also what, it, what Sink the Pink did is it made it shifted a big part of the scene from Soho to East London. Mm. So then East London scene became the kind of hero scene, I guess, if you put it like that. So, yeah, I'm very proud of that because when you go out now in London, there's a lot of mini Sink the Pink. Yes, I was going to say, it's been replicated, And I, I think that that's the ultimate, ultimate praise. I'm T- very proud of it. Taking you back to that first one, yeah. how many people came? Uh, th- uh, 27 people. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No we got way. we got paid in drinks tickets, wow. which I was made up about because <laughs> I love a drink. Yeah. So, were you nervous when you put on that first one? Was it a um, massive gamble? I was probably the reason 
it worked with me and Amy is that she's always been my biggest cheerleader and I needed it because I was a bag of nerves probably for about the first four years every single time back then we didn't sell tickets as well so it was really about if you turn up you turned up you know it was we we were very DIY so everyone was that risk everyone was a bit like we were throwing a birthday party yeah and we all know how that feels as a kid like what if no one comes yeah. so it was very much like that it's very scary um but yeah I think I've always quite liked the fear of that keeps you on your toes Definitely so you does. must have lost money then on the first few did you um well we we like for instance we would not go out and buy bunting we would make bunting and we would sometimes make bunting out of old underwear we would ask people to donate their old underwear we would make bunting it's gross isn't it but we did it um and we, we are the djs were our friends we would just ask our friends and we would invent snazzy names like one of our friends aaron he became dj ron johnson um <laughs> And we have a friend called Sue and a friend called Dan, and they were the Sudan disco. So we would just make things up. <laughs> Love it. You just make, and we just got on with it. But yeah, I think as my imagination and the and the possibilities grew, it got more and more expensive. Yeah. Because it started very much like a night out with Jane McDonald in Blackpool, and it ended like share at the MGM Grand in Vegas. Incredible. Yeah. And that's, did, that's did a lot you, to do with me. <laughs> did you just have flyers back then, or is this the cusp yes. of like MySpace starting? It was and... MySpace, and it was the beginning of Facebook. We were really the beginning of that face before Facebook understood really <laughs> what it was doing, and it was a great time for promoters. You could invite thousands and thousands of people to your party, and we would just cut, copy, paste. Right. And also, I spent a lot of time at after parties. Let's just say that I was Pied Piper of the gays back then. So you knew, you knew a lot of things. Well, I, di- I, did, I didn't at the beginning, but I certainly made up for lost time. And um, yeah, I became, a, a, I became, yeah, Pied Piper of the gays. I, I, was, I was everywhere. If there was somewhere to go where there was people that could come to Think the Pink, I would be there. Can I just ask you, just going back quickly, yeah. when was the moment you were like, wow, we've done it. This is, this is everything I drink. You know, how far did it, how long did it take you to get to that where you were like, wow, this is something else? I think when we moved to Bethnal Green Working Men's Club, because it was, it started when you, if you Google Think the Pink, people always say it started in Bethnal Green Working Men's Club. That's not true. We'd been going for about five years before that, wow. really with those five worrying years where we were begging people to come um, but we didn't give up when we got to Bethnal Green Working Men's Club it became I bet the best way to describe it it was like uh, walking inside John Walter's mind you know it was yeah. like a scene from one of his movies all these old boys and then just drag queens and jock straps. <laughs> and I think the madness of it was everything that is great about London where you just throw people together and we exist we don't just exist actually we thrive so that became a moment um we did about three at Bethnal Green they started growing then there was this one and we couldn't quite get over what happened there was queues there was about a thousand people turned up and bearing in mind you could get about 300 people in Mm. I kept thinking to myself They've double booked us, you know. <laughs> we've got we're here for a Kylie music video as well, or something. They must have, but they, but all of a sudden something. What we didn't realise is Vogue had run a piece on us the night before, saying that this is the party to go to. It just takes that moment, doesn't it? Yeah. And that party was, I, my jaw was on the floor the whole night because it was just unbelievable. And then I would say for the coming months, years after that, we were in the eye of a storm that was just crazy. You know, people breaking in and try. It was mad and just mad moments. 
people just rocking up to the club and coming supermodels and then one time Brian Adams Brian Adams turned up no to the, way yes. really oh well, we couldn't get him away he kept coming back <laughs> but um yeah Brian Adams had been told by someone it was the place to be and was in town and turns up and yeah and he comes let me free we did yes we did actually <laughs> yes yeah I think I made him buy me a drink excellent yeah of course of course it's Brian but yeah that it that time was mad for Sing the Pink it was just it was mania next song we're going to go for is the um, High Heels Melanie C oh that's the next song on your list um, talk me through well when Sing the Pink kept getting bigger and bigger and we would have a lot of pop stars that would come and perform at the club night um how did that start, by the way, getting the pop stars in? Was that uh, so? How many years into it did you start getting? It was when we moved to. It's when we moved to the Troxy, um, which before we'd moved to the Troxy, they just did sort of Sikh weddings and extreme fighting, and then we came in and started doing these massive queer nights, and they were huge. But it also meant that the stages were bigger, and the scale was bigger, so it meant that we could start inviting uh, pop stars, and we had people like Rasheen Murphy, Hercules Love Affair. Um, oh, Little Mix, you may have heard of them. We had them perform. Yeah, of course. And then um, we had Melanie C come along. And it was just one of those, for a start, I think that anyone that grew up gay in any generation, the Spice Girls really were the gay men that they wanted to be. <laughs> they really were. Yeah. And the Spice Girls really were drag. It was drag. And so drag queens especially have this this soft it's beyond a soft spot actually this this space for drag queens so when melanie came along i think that we were all a little nervous because it's a you know it's a spice girl and i think she was a little apprehensive but it was just the most harmonious fit ever and she performed and then she came back and performed at my festival mighty hoopla and it just felt like we'd started something we couldn't finish so we decided that we were going to come up with a show and tour off the back of the Spice Girls tour and do a big pride tour all around the world with five of our drag queens and we worked on the show um and yeah and then we went around the world we did everything that's we, quite a jump from I know but it all started with the Melanie C appearance it all it? started with that and also because Melanie is just the most incredible human being in the world and was just so up for it and so game and so excited by what we were doing. We were excited by what she was doing. So it's this really collaborative, amazing experience. Um, and we did everything. We performed on Times Square uh, in New York. We performed to four million people in just four, we just just four million people. Quite the jump up from twenty seven when we started. <laughs> um, four million people. It's Sao Paulo Pride. Wow. We went, ev- we went everywhere. It was unbelievable. Um, and then off the back of it, or I think, or before it, Melanie wrote this song that was inspired by Sink the Pink. And we took this out on the road, performed it everywhere. We then performed this on Graham Norton on mm. New Year's Eve. Yeah. So it, this is, this when you're talking about pinch me moments, this was not just for me, but the queens that were involved. I would say everyone within our community, this was a life pinch me moment like no other. I'll be dancing home tonight my 
LDC, STP and High Heels on Virgin Radio Pride. It's my Pride playlist. Another one of those songs just, that is just synonymous with Glyn Fussell and his legendary parties, totally representing Sink the Pink. I noticed the next song is Lil Nas X. I'm so glad that you've picked him tonight. Why would you not? I exactly. think, for me, when we're thinking about future gay, future queer pop stars, there's no one better than Lil Nas X. And I... I still sometimes, you know, I watch some of his performances on the VMAs and stuff like that, and I think, wow, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come that we've got this black, amazingly queer, out, proud gay man being, like, naughty, mischievous, sexy, being all these things, kissing boys on stage. It just feels amazing and like a massive slap in the face to America right now, which I love. Mm. I think the music's brilliant. I think he's just at the beginning of what he's about to do. And I he's my he's one of my sort of dream acts to, if we could get him at Mighty Hoopla. I just think he's amazing. Question for you about yeah. him. Do you think that he has just now the right time to do what he's doing? Do you think he would have got away with it a decade ago? Or it would have been uh, accepted? Because it seems that he's just managed to kind of... He's the one person that's just kind of pierced through. Well, I think there's generationally there's always someone that's rebelling. I think that you always need those those people, people that represent counterculture. And I think you always need those people that are, are disrupting what's happening in the world that we don't like. And I think mm. that's the great thing about music and arts when it's, when it's done right, is that that we find we, we we lynch on to those um those characters you know like boy george for instance yeah um i think that there's no coincidence that he's american with everything that's going on in america yeah and he's sort of putting one giant middle finger up to what's going on in america but i don't think it's any accident i think he's unbelievably talented i think what's really interesting is that the first song was country and western as well we should not forget about that which <laughs> yes, is traditionally homophobic and white and here he is making a country and western song and it's the wasn't it the biggest selling country and western song of all time yeah yeah i just think he is phenomenal i love 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 him i don't know if you've got how much i love him <laughs> but i love him yeah. he deserves all the respect he's doesn't he? just the best he's the best the music's great but this and this video you know the video where he comes down the giant pole into yeah. hell absolutely that all the time thank you very much it just seems like the perfect act to pop up during and just after the Donald Trump era, doesn't it? Absolutely. But also the thing that he's doing throughout it all, and I think that we as queer people do brilliantly, is with a sense of humour. We do that better than anyone. We always have our tongue firmly in our cheek and we're having fun with it whilst also delivering a really powerful message. And I think he does that brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gives Satan a lap dance in the video. <laughs> yes, he does. You know, he's not saying he wants to do that, by the way, at home in his front room. He's, he's, he's having fun with it. It's silly. I think we have to poke fun of these things that are absolutely ridiculous that we're, we're being told that we should or shouldn't do. Put it in a music video. Make fun of it. Have fun. I caught it bad just today. You hit me with a call to your place. Ain't been out in a while anyway Was hoping I could catch you throwing smiles in my face Romantic talking you
Leonard's X Montero on Virgin Radio Pride. It's my pro playlist. I'm Steve Denier. Glyn Fussell is with me. Glyn, uh, I'm talking on behalf of a few of my friends now. There are a few disappointed people around that think the pink is over. Is it over for good? Could it come back at some time? Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but not for not for a long time. I mean. So my book's out, Manifesto yes. for Misfits, yes, yeah. and that continues the legacy of Sing the Pink. I think that the book for me, because Sing the Pink had a you know a glass ceiling that you can only get so many people in a club, right? So for me, it was taking all of those messages from what I've learned in the last 14 years and putting it into a book. So this book is me taking your hand, leading you on the dance floor and t- and talking you through not only my story, but the story of so many different misfits that have lived won and succeeded so the book's out and we'll continue to do things around that i think um, that book must speak to so many people as well so. imagine how many people who are yet to find themselves or yeah. think they might be this or that way you would read it and go oh actually i'm not alone yeah was that the purpose yeah it was it was to kind of invite people with to invite people into the community you don't need to be in a physical community to feel part of something i think sometimes you just need to be shown the path so the book was really about that. Um, what else is happening? We are doing Mighty Hoopla Winter Weekender at Buttons. Tell me a bit about Mighty Hoopla. Can yes. you can you tell me how that started and the difference? If somebody's listening and they don't yeah. know the difference between Sink the Pink, Mighty Hoopla, just explain. Well, well so Sink the Pink obviously is club night and it's more, I would say it's a bit more underground and a bit more um, queer, I would say. Yes, I yeah. would say. Uh, Mighty Hoopla started quite big in scale from the get-go. We always wanted... Everything I start is always kind of the antithesis of something that's not happening. So I was... We were being booked for a lot of festivals as Sing the Pink and we were going out and they were all a little boring. They were all all the same, I would say. You know, a lot of the same lineups, a lot of bookings because are they cool, in inverted commas? And so... I thought there's there's something else out there. So myself and a few other people, a few of my other business partners, we decided to set a club night. I'm sorry, a festival up. There was a collection of different club nights. Mm-hmm. And so it started like that with some big musical acts, and then it just kept growing. and And now we're sat here, and it's yeah, we've just done I think fifty, sixty thousand people over two days, it's and incredible. we had steps and Sugar Babes headlined first gig back for the original Sugar Babes. And it's amazing. It's really amazing. And it's, it's. I guess it picks up where Sink the Pink left off and because the scale of it is so huge and it can be really international. I'm sure that we can go around the world with it. I'm sure we will. And it's magnificent. I've never seen that many people full of joy. And they all go. Place. And they, they, you must be so proud when, you, when you're there and when you see the pictures and stuff because I don't know one person, and I, I know so many people who went, but they all dressed up and they all put yeah. effort into it. Yeah. And I've got friends that had get-togethers the weekend before so they could try out their well, outfits it becomes, Yeah, actually, it's one of the most active communities online for us. Yeah. Everyone's talking online about what they're going to wear and who they're going with. And it's... I'm very pr- we're all so proud of it it's um it's really special and it's quite overwhelming you know when we walk around um and and see all these people that have been planning exactly what you said planning yeah. for a week a month before uh, making banners I mean people go in on it yeah it's it's amazing it's a great thing and it's a great thing that's very needed for our community I think as queer spaces physical spaces are shutting down to be able to come in and put something up 
on on that scale is is just so needed right now mm -hmm. so yeah it's great um tickets have just gone on sale actually for i was gonna ask year. you come on then next yes. party is so well there's the butlins weekend uh, which is the end of january so that's on sale already and then next year's mighty hoopla is june the third they're on sale already so yeah lots of lots of other things bubbling i should say mm, yeah um, but for for the minute after all of the things that have been happening at the moment i might just take holiday take we don't do it just yet because we've got one more yes. song on the playlist and this is kiss it by tom aspel yes who is an old sync the pink dj and and a scene legend isn't he a scene legend you know tom aspel he is unbelievable yeah he is a, a great human being and he's been sort of bubbling away working really hard making music and he i think it was just before the pandemic released a, an album called Black Country Music, which is a no, Black Country Disco, which is a disco album set in Wolverhampton, which is <laughs> niche and amazing. And it's a brilliant, brilliant album. And he's just released this album, Life in Plastic. And I, I love him. I just love him. I think he's the perfect pop star. We just had him play Mighty Hoopla and he tore up the stage. He went down a storm, oh, didn't he? He I heard about that. was unbelievable. Yeah, and he's just great. And... um. I wanted to put a new artist on here because he's independent and um, he's a great, I think a great asset to our scene and a great queer pop star. Aspel, kiss it on Virgin Radio Pride on my Pride playlist. It's Steve Denny here. Glyn Fussell's here. Glyn, thank you so much for your time tonight. It's been amazing. I've got one final question for you. If someone's listening and they've heard you speak tonight and they're thinking, you know, that person that you mentioned, that person that you were in Bedminster in Bristol years ago, kind of person who doesn't fit in, someone who hasn't really found their true self yet, what advice would you give to them? I would say wow that's a big one isn't it i think the biggest thing is to try and not get sucked into the detail the you know i must look like this i must do this as a job these kind of people must be my friend and just tune in to your own personal joy you know your instinctive joy and chase that feeling i think when you chase the feeling in life you get everything that you ever wanted and it might not look exactly how you wanted it looks even better so yeah i would just instinctively chase your joy amazing lovely to meet you, you and thank too. you so thank much you. for doing this thank you thank you my pride playlist virgin radio pride Thank you so much for listening in. That was the My Pride Playlist Pridecast. And make sure you subscribe to hear loads more good stuff from Virgin Radio Pride. The Virgin Radio Pridecast. Proudly supported by Disney+. Plus, Full of stories and love for all.